When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. MedExpress is here for you, no matter what. Take it from a recent patient. I went in with severe chills, aches, and fever in the middle of a pandemic. Of course, I was worried, but everyone was so nice. Turns out I just had the flu. Never thought I'd be happy to hear that. My doctor also reassured my employers that it was the flu, and only the flu. The staff's compassion made a world of difference at a time that was very trying. What we do is much more than urgent care. At MedExpress, we call it urgent caring. Real patient testimonials portrayed by actors. Welcome to Is This Real Life? A podcast that relates the quirkiest aspects of pop culture and reality TV to our own lives. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 50. Got a great show for you today. My friend Parker Scheffel is back here in my kitchen to record, and we had a fantastic time. Now, there is some serious tea to spill this week. Again, it's going back to the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and their financial woes. But this week, it involves Erica Jane's husband, Tom Girardi, who is hit with a $15 million lawsuit this week. The lawsuit was against him and his law firm. The group filing the lawsuit, called the Law Finance Group, said that they loaned Tom Girardi $15 million to fund his business, but they believe he was using that money to fund his lavish lifestyle and keep his prominent law firm financially afloat. Haven't heard any responses from Tom or Erica yet, but it sure does seem expensive to be them. Now on to some Bachelor news. Caitlin Bristow, who confirmed her split from fiancé Sean Booth this past fall, is actually now dating another Bachelor alum, Jason Tartik, who is from Becca's season. Jason's the one from Buffalo. He was super cute. He had that really sweet gay brother. Um, it was the first time I think they'd shown a gay relationship on The Bachelor, which was awesome to see. And I really wish them the best. Now, back to some Bravo news. The Vanderpump kids are all in Las Vegas this weekend, with the exception of Sheena, who is staying behind to get her eggs frozen. And speaking of freezing eggs, we talk about that a little bit on this week's podcast since Stassi's mom mentioned that she hadn't frozen her eggs yet. Hope you guys enjoy and have a great week. Hi, everyone. It is my 50th episode, and I am here with Parker Schaffel, who was on my first episode. What up? 50 episodes, Mandy. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. I'm so glad you're able to be here with me and, you know, partake in the joy that is Vanderpump Rules. Vanderpump Rules. VPR, as you VPR. call it. VPR. <laughs> And um, over New Year's Eve, uh, my dad and I actually went to Parker's mom's 60th birthday party. That's right. And his brother ended up talking to my dad about Vanderpump Rules for about a good 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Garrett is a, a huge reality TV show fan as well. And his favorite show, as well as yours, Mandy, is Vanderpump Rules. And we'll definitely get him on the podcast once I sort out my audio situation, <laughs> which perfect, we're working perfect. on. But it was it's funny because my dad, uh, who like the only reality show he knows is Life Below Zero on National Geographic. Right, it's like all the people who like live above the Arctic Circle. Right. Um, by themselves. <laughs> and he it's was like, like, this is like living back in the Russia. Yeah, my dad's Russian. And he was just like, I finally understand why you love this show. It's about people and the relationships, and you watch them grow over years. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of Gulag in the Soviet Union. 
So, and, you know, uh, Garrett was able to explain to my dad how the show is so compelling and how we witness things that remind us of our own lives and our own experiences and wanted to recap this episode of Vanderpump Rules with you, Parker. Yes. Um, We just got done watching uh, while eating some awesome quinoa tofu curry. Yeah, yellow curry. Yes, which was amazing, by the way. Um, and we just got done watching. And there was some really interesting stuff in this. You see uh, Bo's reaction to Stasi's freak out. Yes. You see Stasi's crazy mom, uh, who we will definitely talk about a whole bunch. And you, and you see the situation uh, with James clearly having drank too much and and trying to actually repent for his his sins in a sense. So a really interesting episode. Yeah. So I wanted to start by talking about the Stasi and Bo freak out because that's how everything starts so it is her birthday she has drank too much and she has likely done Adderall which is a thing that she typically does during filming she takes Adderall she drinks too much the freak outs I think are common on people's birthdays not just because they drink too much because I feel like on a birthday you're assessing where you're at in your life and are you where you want it to be and a lot of people feel like they don't measure up and with Stassi It's clear that she has some sort of deep-rooted issue with abandonment. She's afraid of being abandoned. And so when she's by herself taking her makeup off at 2 a.m., she's wondering, why isn't my boyfriend here with me? And she wants him to come down, and she's not willing to go up and get him. It sounds like eventually she went up and yelled at him in a tone that was so terrible that he had to tell her, you know, you can't treat me this way. I won't be your punching bag. And then I don't know exactly, it's not very clear how that fight ended, but he wanted to walk away because he said nothing was getting resolved. And then she really lost it because that's her thing. That's her trigger is being left. And I think he realizes it now. And so we see them kind of having this morning after conversation. Yeah. So I I thought it was interesting because, you know, you, you think about it in... When you think about it, people talk, well, nothing good is going to happen after midnight or, you know, we can't, you know, this is not a good time to solve this fight. You know, and I remember talking with people who are in relationships and I'm in my own. I've been married for two years now. And and you have this mantra of like, we're never going to go to bed upset. We're going to work this out. Well, you know what? That doesn't work all the time. Okay. The the idea that you're never going to be upset with each other when you go to sleep is, is not reality. So you might be upset with one another and that's okay. Extracting yourself from a situation when you know that there is no good that's going to come out of it because your girlfriend has drank too much and done Adderall is probably a smart move. The thing that you've got to remember though is how do you respond to that in the, in, in the next day and how do you how do you work everything out so so you start to build it back up without making that person feel like a terrible person? Because if you care about that person and you want to keep building this relationship, you've got to spend that time to do that. And we started to see some of that in the show. I don't think Bo went about it in in the best way because he's. I think that he's really got to understand she's got deep-seated problems. And by just coming out and saying, don't ever do that to me again, blah, 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 you've got to start to you figure out. You dick punched my heart. Right. Like that's that's – if you're trying to have a real conversation with somebody, somebody you really care about, you can't say you dick punched my heart. You have to say last night when you said what you said to me and you slammed your phone down, I felt really hurt and I felt really scared. And that's the start of a conversation. But to come out and say that you dick punched my heart, like it makes a joke out of it. And this thing is not a joke. Yeah, I think it's sort of him and Stasi have their own like language they use with each other. And I feel like he was just kind of using the language that they use in a way to describe his pain. But I agree, it was it was probably not the best language. But I do feel like I appreciated when he said, like, I'm not going anywhere. I love her. And I think he makes that clear to her. What the issue I think she needs to deal with is the fact that she can't rely on him or anyone to make her feel okay at all times. She has to find a way to feel some sort of like sense of calmness on her own. And she can't rely on external factors like a boyfriend to make her feel like okay all the time. And that's something that takes just a lot of work. And I think she's starting to acknowledge that there's an issue there. Like, oh, I used to have these freakouts, but I was in really bad relationships. Now I'm having these freakouts. I'm in a great relationship. So maybe the issue is 
is me on some level, and I need to figure that out. Now, I said on the last week's podcast that I thought that her mom had something to do with this, and, you know, a big part of it wasn't even just seeing her mom, but just knowing that her mom had been married multiple times, and so there were multiple men then living with her mom and Stasi, and there were multiple half-siblings, step-siblings, and I bet, you know, when there's a divorce and then those siblings leave, that, that step-parent leaves it does create a sense of like, oh, you're leaving us, you know? And I I bet that stays with you as a child. I bet it's really hard. And you want, you're afraid like, oh, are these guys going to leave me the way guys have left my mom? And I I don't think it's a crazy thing. And then we get a glimpse into Stassi's mom. So, okay. So, so first of all, first of all, it, it is very clear that We've talked about this before, how much they drink on the show, (laughs) right, severely limits the amount of self-control that they have. And and one of the things that I I really like is is something called emotional intelligence, right, where you you start off with self-awareness. And if you are aware of yourself, then you can manage yourself. If you can manage yourself and you gain an awareness of your social atmosphere, then you can manage your social atmosphere. These people cannot manage their social atmospheres because they don't have any self-awareness. You can start to gain some, but the first thing that Stassi needs to do is stop drinking and stop taking Adderall because it triggers all this stuff. So that's number one. But number two, I give her a lot of credit because she is a really, really crazy mom who relies on her way too much for emotional support. And guess what? It's not her job. Your daughter is not your emotional support. You want emotional support? Go find a life partner. And I'm sorry that you were married four times, but... It, it, it's still not Stasi's job. Harsh words, Parker. Harsh words. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just saying, like, no, I know is, this is something that I have I have thought about over the, the last several months, if not past the year of my life. Children are not the emotional support for their parents. Parents uh-huh. need to be emotional support for each other. And in the case that that can't happen, you've got to find it somewhere because you cannot rely upon your children, who are the children in that type of relationship. To be able to provide you that support, talk to a therapist, talk mm-hmm. to a life partner, get some friends, whatever it is, you've got to do something because to do what, what Dana did to Stasi, that's really messed up. Yeah. And I think like she basically was saying like, I need her to hold me and tell me that she loves me. And, but at some point this is interesting and it hasn't really come up on this show yet, but like as you get older and as your parents get older, like the roles do change a bit. And I found it like with me and my dad, like it's we're kind of in a situation where we're both adults. Like, yes, he's my dad and yes, he helps me out. But a lot of times we're kind of like on the same level about stuff where it never felt that way before. Like when we're trying to figure, I don't know, just out decisions and stuff like that. And when my mom died, I was sort of like elevated to sort of her level, like within the family. I talked to her sisters, kind of the way they would talk to her. But this is different. This is seems to be. Stasi's mom is a bit unstable and um, embarrasses her. Oh, my God. The things that she said and was mean, basically saying, like, I hope he doesn't find out, Bo, your boyfriend, who you really are, because then maybe he'll leave you. Oh, and he's up here and you're down there. Like, who says that to their child? People who are crazy. That, that's who says it to their children is people who are crazy. It's who have, so mean. Who it's have, so mean. And it really like if you go back and you watch Stasi over the years, you kind of understand where some of her bitchiness and anger and rage comes out because she was tr- I think she was just talked down to and treated poorly like whenever someone tells you that you're crazy and that you're over emotional and that you overreact and all these things over and over they, and they don't see any change in you Stasi has changed she's really calmed down over time yes she has freakouts but she is change as a person she's got a book deal like she's got this great relationship she's way more calm and able to handle issues with her friends and like able to handle conflict the fact that her mom isn't seeing this change in her or even just like giving her kind words is it's so sad it's sad but it it gets to the larger point that like it is very clear that there is a, a giant lack of self-awareness on all of these people <laughs> yeah. all the time. Because if your mom does not understand that saying those things in front of a guy that you care about is inappropriate, you've got serious, serious family issues and y'all need to go to therapy. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think everyone should. And as you know, 
as Brittany said in this episode, when they went to Rage Ground, that she'd never been to therapy, but she imagines that that's what therapy feels like when you break all of that stuff. Yeah, and that's a phenomenal idea, right? At that point, you are demonstrating, I understand I've got this stuff pent up. I can go off on my friends. I can go off on my family. I can drink. I can take drugs. Or I can go smash an old computer. And I can go break stuff and get that emotion out. That is a phenomenal example of, of having the self-awareness and making a good decision. But this stuff between Stasi and her mom, like that's years of therapeutic work that you've got to <laughs> do to undo all that stuff. So Stasi can begin to fix herself and develop this relationship about a guy that she clearly cares about. Yeah. And I think like also she can't like... Her mom might not be willing to do any of that work, but I think Stasi is. I think she's willing to work on herself. Her mom might be too far gone and might think she's got nothing wrong with her. And then Stasi has to figure out coping mechanisms to deal with her mom. But And not just coping mechanisms, boundaries. 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 And putting the kibosh well, on something. She seems like she was trying to, and then Kristen was telling her, like, you need to be nicer to your mom. And, you know, I, I think the problem with the, these shows is we only see bits and pieces of conversation. And they... They put it together. I think the conversation between Bo and Stasi the morning after the fight was probably like a very long, extensive conversation. And they took the phrase, you dick punched my heart. And that may have been like one thing he said in two hours. I hope that was the end thing that he said. Yeah. And they just kind of spliced it that way. I think, no, for real. Like hopefully I, that was, was like, like a, a joke, joke at that yeah. time. And then, you know, hey, you dick punched my heart. Ha yeah. ha, love you, boo. You know, like it, but it, it just didn't seem like that. It's like, that was the first thing he said. I think they do a lot of splicing in this show and it makes things look really funny like you didn't see last week but there is a scene with Sheena and this guy and she's hitting on him and making really inappropriate comments and me and Brandon Alvarado were talking and concluded that the guy must have been making comments back to her and the producers just cut all of that so it would look as if she was like harassing him basically because there's no way he would still be in that apartment with her and like smiling and laughing if she was just like saying these things without any like I can't imagine that so I feel like they do this you know also in this dinner where I can't quite tell how everything escalated with the three the witches of WeHo is what they call themselves oh, yeah Stasi, Kristen and Katie they're coming out with a Pinot Grigio soon I can't wait to try it and then their moms and I mean for what it's worth I think Kristen and Katie's mom seemed quite nice and they, they pleasant seemed, they, they seemed very like normal and when they <laughs> noticed a very strong emotional situation they said okay let's go make sure no one's going to fall off the edge here. Yeah. Uh, provide some comfort where needed, which if I have to say, if Stasi's mom doesn't have that from a life partner, that's what your friends are for. Mm-hmm. Have, take care of you and make sure that you're okay. Um, so they seemed a lot more normal and down to earth than Stasi's mom did. Yeah. Her mom's just, just kind of out there. There's a couple, there was one thing she said to Bo about, well, you know, I need grandchildren soon and Stasi hasn't frozen her eggs yet. And it's like, what is it about parents and not all parents, but so many parents think it's okay to talk to their kids or their kids' partners about grandchildren. And it's such an inappropriate conversation, but it does remind me of a very funny story about egg freezing, which is probably, <laughs> probably really not appropriate. And I should probably cut it out of the podcast. But um, I mentioned that my mom had passed and uh, I was in my room uh, after she died. My mom used to cut out um, articles from newspapers, uh, like things on like how to lower your cable bill and you know like a random like I did uh, advocacy work in Africa and she's like look at this random tribe of Jews in Africa you should go find them and they like <laughs> like stuff like that like things from I read it in the newspaper three months ago and saved it and kept it on your nightstand so she dies and I find that she has kept an article for me about freezing your eggs <laughs> of course she did course. and she wasn't even around for me to yell at her about it <laughs> Mom, I I wish I could yell, but I can't. I was like, you bitch. <laughs> I was like, I'm not that old. What are you doing? <laughs> it was, yeah. Woo. And, and that's the thing, though, is that it's a matter of... You know, your expectations of life, what you want with with your kids and, and the desire to have grandkids, but also at the same time, your need of self-control. Yeah. Because what if you're 
you know, what if your kid doesn't want kids or they can't have kids or they're having a really difficult time having kids? Like, I can tell you this, this whole thing that we were taught when we were 16, like you have sex, you're going to get pregnant or you're going to get a girl pregnant. Then you're going to have 14 babies and not know. No, <laughs> like getting pregnant is really hard. Okay. Like, like we have a lot of friends who've been trying for a long time. Like it's really hard to do that. I know. And this whole thing about, oh, well, when are you going to have babies? And oh my God. Uh, it's like mind your own business. Okay. Not your life. Stasi's life. Bo's life. Yeah. And, and from what you told me, Bo's like, dude, this is tough enough being on this TV show. Like, I like this chick. I don't like being in front of everybody. I don't think he minds the show, but I don't think he ever set out for any fame whatsoever. Right. right. Just yeah. kind of like, hey, you know, I really like this girl. I'll deal with I'll this deal stuff, with this. right? Which is fine. So even at that point, you've got a guy who is into a girl who has to deal with all this other stuff of being on camera all the time and having his almost his whole life being on screen and then you come out and be like well she hasn't frozen her eggs yet but uh, her time's running out so how about you shoot your boys up there and we see what happens like dude you can't do that <laughs> well definitely boundaries and and that's something that I think James is also trying to learn as we saw um, we saw him go see Arthur who um, used to work, I think, at Pump and is a life coach now. Now, this is the exact same scene we saw a couple years ago with him. They go to ice cream. James is sober for five days. And Arthur tells him, what are you going to do to stay sober? And James doesn't really have a plan. And the exact same thing happened. And I'm I'm glad that Arthur, you know, said, like, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, but then also said, you know, give me three words that that describe yourself when you're sober and make that your mantra. And I thought that was really great. I just, unfortunately, it's hard for me to set aside the things I'm hearing about James and like nowadays from his castmates on social media and them saying he hasn't changed, he hasn't learned, he's really terrible and he's not ever repenting. It's hard because you see him on screen and he does seem like there is a piece of him that is upset and that is hurt. So you're kind of like, is that all a lie? Is he a sociopath like Jax or a recovering sociopath, as Tom Sandoval calls him? So I, there's a couple things to think about here. Number one, you know, we, we see this life coach and he comes out and says, give me three things that you know you really love about yourself when you're sober. But here's the, here's the thing. OK, if you think about political advertising, there's they really kind of go down two paths. One is hope and one is fear. And what you have to do is to me in personal relationships and life coaching and counseling and therapy, you have to balance those. You can't just focus on the positive and say, well, tell me what you think life would be like if you didn't drink. You have to go down the negative to say, what is, what are you, what are you at your worst? when you are drinking. How terrible of a person are you? Do you want to do that? No, I don't. You need to have that acknowledgement. So this whole idea of, oh, well, I want to be an honest person and I want to, I want to be driven and I want to be caring and loving and compassionate person. Well, guess what, James? Compassionate people aren't throwing words out like, oh, you're fat and you're a whore, okay, <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the, the people they work with, okay? It doesn't work like that. Well, it's also, and you didn't get to see this last um, last episode, but they had a scene with James's mom, and his mom is newly sober, nine months, and so she feels like she can't tell her son what to do because she, you know, was bad for a while. Yes, you can. You're a parent. Yeah. You can always tell your kid what to do or what not to and do. It's different when you're when you're uh, you have an adult kid. I get it. Yeah. But if you've been an alcoholic in your life and your kid's an alcoholic and you go, I screwed up for a long time. You need to stop drinking too. Uh, yeah, you can definitely say that. I, I mean, I think so too. It's just interesting. We're getting to see a lot of these uh, people's families and their background and their upbringing and why they are the way they are. And it is fascinating. And I do appreciate seeing like the unpretty stuff because so much of what we see in like Hollywood and from LA is this like perfect lifestyle and everything like that. And, and the thing with Vanderpump Rules and like they do seem like they have a ton of fun and they have it made. They're making all this money from the show. They live in LA. You know, they're having the time of their lives, but at the same time, like, they do have issues and they do have problems and their families aren't perfect. And that's the way life really is. And, but the question is, is that is this done because the producers know that they can build drama into a show? Right. So if you take somebody who is perfect like you, Mandy, and <laughs> yeah, okay, right. if you take somebody like you who is perfect, 
or uh, like me, uh, obviously, because we're both <laughs> the, the two best, of us. Right? Yeah, our, our shows, our lives are not going to be fun on television because we don't drink excessively. We're not disrespectful to other people. We manage our family relationships as we need to. We have successful friendships. We work hard and, and we do what we can. But the thing to me with this and the way the show works and all the people who are on the show is that. You know, one of the things that jumped out to me from this episode is they were when they were smashing things, they talked about, you know, how how oh my god, how high rent was in LA and oh it's so expensive to live here. Okay, hold on. You work at one of the best restaurants. Wait, in, they said that I totally missed it. Oh yeah, it. yeah, when they were smashing it, they're like, Oh, uh oh, rent's so high in LA and they smashed this printer. Okay, here's the problem. Okay, you work at one of the, the most famous... That's not where they're getting their money, though. They're getting their money from the show. Right, but that's yeah. my thing. Okay, you, you work, you, you are a, a, have a contract for one of the most popular, if not the most popular reality television show, especially right now, and then you go and get a book deal to talk about what it's like to be a basic bitch. <laughs> okay? Okay, listen. Yeah, I worked... No right. one else has come up with that. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, but like this idea... Okay, first of all, being basic, not a good thing. Being a bitch, not a good thing. No, but being a basic bitch is a good thing. Not to this guy. Okay, sorry. But it's so, different than being basic or being a bitch. <laughs> then maybe I guess I disagree on that because I'm sitting there going, these are not two good no, things. No, no, being a basic bitch is basically like, the things that you love that you're like, oh, everyone hates that you love them. So like a pumpkin spice latte and right. yoga pants and like I embrace those things that I love and I don't want to feel bad. I love Bravo TV. I maybe that makes me a basic bitch. But Mandy, maybe maybe this is where we disagree on this, okay? So to me, basic is not loving the things that you love. It's loving the things that people seem to love. It's, it's that pumpkin spice but, latte. But if you love those things... If like, you truly love them, then just love them. Embrace it. And I agree with you. But and my, I think that's what the book is about. But my my point is this. I don't think they love it as much as they think they love it. I think that they love the fact that they're getting attention for loving it or promoting it. There is this, this idea of this yoga pant wearing, pumpkin spice latte, iPhone holding blonde girl out there. And that's basic. Okay, you could be that. You could not be that. But I think people like the attention and they like the image that comes along with that. I mean, I don't care about the image, but like I need yoga pants. I need my iPhone. I need my pumpkin spice latte. Here's an idea. Go to Marshall's. Get non-Lululemon yoga pants. Oh, yeah. They don't have to be Lulu. Go and get a cafe Americano at Starbucks and maybe have an Android. Okay, guess what? You're not basic anymore. Oh, God, I had an Android once, and it was literally, like, the worst year of my life. Listen up, folks. I'm an Android user. Okay, be together, not the same. That was Google's tagline. Sorry, Google, I got you. But, all right, but here's the thing. All right, here's my point. Here's my point. We're going to get back to this, because I'm fired up this podcast. I haven't been, I haven't been fired up th- this much on your podcast, Mandy, since, I think, ever. Here's my thing, okay? We've talked about this before. I wrote a book. And I self-published it. And I've spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. to put it together, to write it, to get it out, to publish it, to distribute it, to get reviews, to get other people, whatever. I'm like $8,000 in the hole here. Okay. And my book comes from experiences on being in Iraq and Afghanistan and working with the State Department and working with the CIA and jumping out of planes and understanding what life is like. Okay. She works at a restaurant. And Not even. She actually doesn't even work at that restaurant. <laughs> okay. So she doesn't even work at the goddamn restaurant, okay? And I'm sitting here, and she's getting book deals to talk about what it's like to be a basic bitch. I'm sorry. And she's going to sell hundreds of thousands of copies of this goddamn book. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting there having sold 152 on Amazon. Thank you all very much if you've listened to it or actually read the book. I appreciate that. But that's the thing. I know, I know, and it does seem frustrating. The reason that I think I initially really liked this show, Vanderpump Rules, is because these kids really were struggling, and I think if you watch it from the beginning, it would be different, because you saw them when they were living in these, like, truly shitty apartments. Some of them still live in shitty apartments. Like, they got paid, I think, $10,000 each for the first season, which, for the amount of time they put into that, I mean, is literally nothing. And I totally get that, right? You, you, in a sense, have to pay your dues before you get big. Nobody's going to pay you a million dollars to I, be on a show. I think the show unexpectedly took off, and they unexpectedly got all of this attention. And I think right now, they're trying to figure out, okay, this is fleeting. We know this isn't forever. 
you know, especially Stassi's thinking about this. She left the show at one point too. Like she has her podcast. She's tried. They're all trying to figure how can we monetize this because we don't think this is forever. Of, of course, and I and I get that, right? And you, in a sense, you have to kind of stack your chips. You have to stack your chips up yeah. and cash them in while you can and while you're hot, because there will be somebody else coming after you. Totally. There will be a new podcast. There will be a new reality TV show. There will be a new, you know, wine that you're going to come out with this Pinot Gris, which I'm sure is going to be amazing. <laughs> and I can't wait to try it, Stacy. Love but, it. But but that's the thing, right? I understand. But that. I think what you're talking about is is not just Stacy, but like. What I'm learning from having friends that are writers is that it is an incredibly difficult task and we don't value writers in our society and I don't think we value books and I think it's really, really hard to get a publisher and to get something out there. And I think that it's less about like her having this like, it's going to be easy for her because she's got a platform. But for people who don't, how do you, how can you get a platform and that's that's the thing because like it is frustrating that she's gonna you know publish this book and like whatever it's it'll be i'll read it <laughs> but i read your book too and right. i bought three I copies three too many but i think i think yeah i think you're hitting on a really important point but the interesting the different thing about this show is that all of these people have busted their ass and have worked in a way different kind of way than people i think on a lot of other shows that uh, very few of these people grew up wealthy um i think stassi might be an exception but you know they grew up working they grew up doing retail a lot of them were models and they got paid total shit doing like just absolutely like Abercrombie models that got just that's treated a, and horribly. That's another thing, I tried out to be an Abercrombie model in college, and they said my my chest to waist ratio wasn't right. And I was like, wait, bro, I got you, a six pack, bro. Wait, you did not try out to be an Abercrombie yeah, model. But, how? Right, so, wait, so explain was, how this right, happened. It was all right. So I went to Ohio State, and Columbus uh, has the Abercrombie and Fitch headquarters. Okay. Right. So they were looking for, I guess, like local talent or something to do some of their photo shoots. And I actually went and I, I tried to apply because I was like, oh, I got a six pack, bro. Like, I'm, I'm pretty good here. But they said that they needed, I think it was a, a 42 inch chest for a 34 inch waist. But I had a 41 inch chest with like a 31 inch waist. So like, oh, sorry, you don't fit our cut. Right. Because if they're going to put jeans like, on you yeah, or shirts clothes, or whatever yeah. it has to fit exactly how they want so I never had the opportunity so again envious that I never got to be that Abercrombie and Fitch model and then got my spot on Vanderpump Rules and <laughs> my spot in getting that book deal Stasi. <laughs> um, anything else from this episode that really caught your eye so one of the things that really jumped out to me that we didn't talk about was that bar scene with Lisa and all the people that she brought in and how they all just talk shit about each other. And it's like, why can we not just oh, be... you mean the... Um, the like the, the meeting. meeting. The yeah. meeting, right? Yeah. Talking about how, you know, everyone is going to move on once, you know, their colleague was gone. And the thing that jumped out to me is like, no, it doesn't seem like anybody can just be respectful to one another. Whenever it gets to the situation, Jax is yelling at, at Lala and Lala's yelling at somebody else. And, and all I don't these, think Jax was yelling at Lala, but yes. Some, right. There were just people who were just being assholes to one another. Why can't you just say like, hey, when you said this to me before, it made me really upset and I felt really bad and have somebody else go, oh, wow, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do that. But they just talk at one another and Lisa's standing there going, okay, everybody, you know, come on, please, Lisa, let's get, let's back on topic. I'm like. No, she loves this. She's doing this. She's having the staff meeting on camera for drama and she knows it's going to be dramatic. I know. I know. I just didn't like it. That's all I'm saying. You know, I just, it's like, come on, people do better. Do better. I I thought it was really funny, but it's it's definitely not how I think she actually runs a business. I mean, what does she care about what people think about her decisions? If she wants to explain them, she can explain them. But I certainly don't think she should open them up to critique or criticism or have people share their thoughts and feelings. Right. I did appreciate Brittany saying, well, it hurts me when you guys say that he helped make money for the business because it seems that you're putting money above my feelings as a worker here and he embarrassed me and he hurt me and he did it in my place of work. She didn't say it that articulately, yeah, of course but not. she was very upset about it. And and I thought I think she had a right to, you know, 
I, I also think like who cares that he was bringing in money if you have a standard of conduct and he has crossed the line on that, then that's it. Right. And that's that's the issue of a business owner, right? Is what kind of culture do you create? Do you create a culture that thrives because you have people who are in a good work environment, who work hard because they all want to accomplish the same mission, which is in this case, I imagine delivering really good service and really good food. But the thing is, that's the business owner's responsibility. If she wants to create a culture that is is the opposite of that, that lets these kind of uh, these these viruses thrive and this negativity thrive and these these terrible comments and these disparaging comments thrive. That's her responsibility. But at the same time, like she is a business owner, but she's also producing this TV show. She's an executive producer. So I think she's trying to weigh like how good is this drama for the show versus can we still run a business with all of this drama? And is this drama bringing in the business? Uh, of course. And and not only is it bringing in the business, is it bringing in new business, right? Because that's the whole thing of marketing, right? Is that you can sell all day, but if you're selling to the same people, you're not expanding, you're not growing, you're not making more money, you're not bringing in more capital. So she's probably saying, how can I keep appealing to new people to get more people into my restaurants, which is why she's starting that Tom Tom restaurant, because it's going to be more appeal for more things with more people and more cameras. I think I think she's very smart at this stuff. I just don't totally. think I, I just don't think that, you know, the, the if I'm looking at it from just a viewer standpoint, that meeting was a total sham. It was totally ridiculous. And you're right. You don't do that in front of people. You don't air your dirty laundry like that. And you don't have them critique your decision making when you're the owner of the restaurant. And like you said, the executive producer of this TV show. Yeah, I just I think it was just for to get something to put on the show. And well, it worked. (laughs) Okay. any final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, Mandy, I always love being here with you. And yeah. Vanderpump Rules is by far my favorite. So yes. thanks for having me on episode 50. I know that great things are coming to this podcast. You've had great people on here. The engagement is up. You've got famous people coming on, far more famous than me because I'm a nobody. So it's just hey. great to be here. But, you know, you have you have written your book. So can you please tell people where they can get your book and then where they can find you on social media as well as your website? Yeah, definitely. So so thanks for that plug. Uh, so I'm really happy to say that the book is out. It's called Get After It, Seven Inspirational Stories to Find Your Inner Strength When It Matters Most. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Nook, Kobo, Kindle, everything. There's an ebook version and a paperback. Uh, I'm really happy to say that I've recorded the audiobook, and the audiobook should be out probably by mid-February, end of February at the latest. So if you're interested in a good read about seven stories, quasi-memoir, quasi-self-help book, I think you'd really check it out. Um, I'm basically charging the cheapest that I can charge for it that my publishing company lets me do. I just want to get the word out. So great stories from my time in Iraq, Afghanistan, in the military, working for CIA, my time as a musician, a whole bunch of other things in there. So if you're interested, please check it out. It's called Get After It, Seven Inspirational Stories to Find Your Inner Strength When It Matters Most. You can find me on social media. I've got an author, uh, Parker Shaffle official page on Facebook. You can hit me up at Twitter at P Shaffle. That's P-S-C-H-A-F-F-E-L. Same thing on Instagram. And always check out my website at parkershaffle.com. Thank you so much. Have a great week. See ya. So going to do some quick recaps of the housewives this week. So on Jersey, which I am continuing to absolutely love, especially the new additions, Jennifer and Jackie, they have been phenomenal. So Jackie organizes a wine tasting that all the ladies go on. Of course, Teresa can't partake because she is getting ready for her fitness competition in a few weeks and is not drinking. She also brings her own food, of course. So on the way to the wine tasting, things get very heated. Jennifer just got back from Turkey, and she brings gifts for all of the ladies. She tells Margaret that she didn't bring a gift for her, though, because it got lost in the mail along with the mail-order bride that never was. So then at this point, Margaret knows that somebody told Jennifer that Margaret had made a joke about her new sister-in-law or future sister-in-law being a mail-order bride. Margaret's like, it was a joke. Then Jennifer gives Jackie a knife, like a really pretty knife from Turkey, and says, well, this is for next time, so 
you when you stab me in the back i can see it coming or something like that and jackie says that the gift was passive aggressive and jennifer's like you want to talk about passive aggressive you come into my home and you use it for an article about spoiled children so then jackie takes a step back and she tries to explain that the article did not call Jennifer's children spoiled. It actually did the opposite, and most of the women agree. Jackie thinks that Jennifer is paranoid and doesn't want to apologize for Jennifer's paranoia, but Jennifer thinks that Jackie has a holier-than-thou attitude. But at the same time, Jennifer says, you know, she admits that she's sensitive about the article because it's about her kids and the kids go to school and the parents at that school read the Bergen record and may think that her children are spoiled and not want to have them play with her kids. And she says, and I think this makes a lot of sense, if I'm not going to be sensitive about my kids, who am I going to be sensitive about? Jackie does eventually apologize and said that she was really inspired by Jennifer's kids who have a lot of things but are still sweet and humble. Then when they get to the vineyard, the ladies start to get lit, especially Jennifer. And we've seen her drunk before during the Oklahoma trip, which was hilarious. And she gets a little bit feisty. So Margaret talks about growing up with Marge Sr. and how Marge Sr. took her everywhere, including on dates, and talks about how Marge Sr. was really into this man who happened to be married, um, hoping that he would lead him leave his wife and jennifer says well i see a pattern here insinuating that you know margaret also had an affair so so margaret points out the hypocrisy like hey if children are off limits what about parents but she says this to the camera in her confessional not actually to jennifer's face then the whole arranged marriage situation comes up and margaret says you know it's not that it's bad it's just i can't relate to it jennifer's like so you can't relate to people who have set up marriages and i can't relate to people who have affairs with married people margaret tells jennifer that she hasn't fucking lived (laughs) which i don't know i mean maybe that's true but in response to not understanding why you had an affair i don't really think that's the appropriate thing to say I totally understand what Jennifer is saying here, but she just doesn't need to be so rude about it, especially since I'm sure Margaret feels bad about the way that things transpired with her and her husband, Joe, but now they are happily married. She's got a great relationship with her ex-husband and, you know, it is what it is. So um, Margaret then (laughs) digs really deep and she points out that when they were touring Jennifer's house, they went to the pool house and there was a bed in the pool house that Jennifer either jokingly or not jokingly said that her husband sleeps in when she wants to throw him out of the house. So Margaret points this out and, you know, as if maybe they have marital problems and Jennifer is like, all I'm saying is you don't make comments on things you don't understand and I'll avoid making comments on things that I don't understand, like breaking up a family. It's just like, Come on, just let it go, Jennifer. (laughs) Let it go. Um, Jackie actually ends this argument by saying that it doesn't matter how you find the person who makes you happy. What matters is that you found the person that makes you happy. Then Teresa goes to Danielle's for dinner, and she's having dinner with Danielle and her new husband, who just gives me the creeps. Like, there's so many things about him, especially in this episode, that make me think that he is just not a great guy. But of course, he is marrying Danielle, so that probably already says he's not that great. So while at dinner, Danielle tells Teresa that Margaret is not a loyal friend, and that Marge told her not to trust Teresa and Melissa. Now, Teresa thinks this is weird because her and Margaret have always been close and have never had a problem. She then tells Melissa this, and Melissa also thinks it's weird and doesn't believe it's true. They eventually bring this up with Danielle and Margaret in the room together later in the episode, which is really, really crazy. So then it moves on to Melania's song. Melania releases a really, really cute song. Um, It was produced by the same person that produces Fetty Wap. The producer brought Fetty Wap out to meet Melania. It's really sweet. It seems like this is a way for her to channel energy that she has and a lot of emotion with her father being away in jail. So she produces this super cute like hip-hop song. She's only 12, and it's called I Can't Wait to Grow Up. So at the party, 
Melissa confronts Danielle and Margaret and says, you know, hey, Danielle said that you told her not to trust me and Teresa. Like, is that true? And Margaret says, no, that's not true. What I actually said is don't trust anybody. And that was response to Danielle saying, you know, I don't trust people or I don't know who to trust. And Margaret says, well, then don't trust anybody. And then Danielle apparently flipped this into don't trust Teresa and Melissa, which is not what was said. Um, Then this is probably one of the most epic scenes I've seen in a long time. So while the women are arguing, their husbands are watching on and discussing their wives fighting. So Marty, this is, oh God, I just can't get over what he did. So he's watching Danielle and he says that he thinks that Margaret is jealous of Danielle, that he's, she is threatened by Danielle because there's no reason for Danielle to be jealous and there's no one that looks better than her. Margaret doesn't want to walk into a room with Danielle because no one will then look at Margaret. So Joe, Margaret's husband, is so pissed. He starts like leaning into Marty. And then Joe Gorga steps in, Melissa's husband, and was like, oh my God, no, 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 don't, don't go after him. Just step back, calm down, everybody calm down. And then it goes back to Dolores, who is witnessing this fighting, not between the guys, but between the women, and is saying, you know, I told all of you that Danielle was like this. She takes words and she takes things that you say and she minces them and she makes you come across poorly. You know, thanks for not believing me last year. Hope you all believe me now. And um, Margaret then tells Danielle, you know, I want you to have a happy life. I want you to be happy, but you've pushed me too far and I am done. And that's how the episode ends, so we'll see how it continues into next week. On The Real Housewives of Atlanta, it begins where it ended last time, with the fight between Candy and Portia over Portia getting kicked out of Candy's husband Todd's birthday party, but that was not shown on film. Anyway, Candy decides that she's basically done with Portia, and she doesn't want to go out of her way for Portia anymore. The fight doesn't really resolve, but the ladies move on and start talking about, you guessed it, shade. That has to be the word of the season. They say the word shade so many times that if it was a drinking game, I think you would die from alcohol poisoning. Another thing that kind of gets to me um, is the confessional looks this season on Atlanta. Some of the ladies are wearing eyelashes that include lower lashes, and the lashes are just a bit too dark and too long, and it just looks creepy, almost like sort of a sad clown, especially on Ava. Okay, but going back to the shade business, so Portia tells Ava, you know, you're always forgetting your shade, like you forget the things that you've said that are shady to other people, calls her out about Cynthia and is like, have you ever been shady towards Cynthia? And Ava says no. And, you know, Cynthia doesn't seem to care because, you know, she won the (laughs) walk-off, the model competition with her and Ava that they had in Destin during the girls' trip. Speaking of Cynthia... She brings Mike Hill to meet three of the ladies, Candy, Marlo, and Ava, and they each get three minutes to ask him whatever questions they want. I actually thought this was really cute, a nice way for her to bring her new boyfriend around her friends. Um, Her boyfriend's very aware of her ex, Will, who got a lot of flack from the ladies last season, and he mentions that, you know, This is Hill, not Will. His last name's Hill. So he's joking, throwing a little shade at Cynthia's ex. The ladies seem to really like it. Candy, of course, asks about his go-to sex moves. Marlo asks him about STDs. Ava's very sweet and asks, you know, what about Cynthia's special? Like, what makes your relationship so great? In the end, it seems like all of the ladies give a thumbs up, which is very sweet. Another thing that we saw was Greg's birthday party this episode. Now, I just can't get over the fact that Greg is refusing medical advice and not getting chemo. I know it's a personal decision, but it's just really hard for me to get on board with, knowing that his doctors recommended that he do chemo. While they didn't find any cancer in him um, after he had his surgery on his colon, you know, the doctors say there could be microscopic amounts of cancer and that could lead to future growth and it coming back. And just to make sure that you go into remission, chemo is recommended. 
but Greg says no, that he has faith in a higher being and blah, blah, blah. He's going to go vegan. The whole thing makes absolutely no sense to me. And the other thing that's really frustrating is watching him be so mean to Nini. It's hard as someone who's sick, you know, you've got a lot of burden, but the caretaker also has a lot of burden. And I think that Nini is still struggling with it and still trying to sort of figure it out. Now, the meat of this episode is really all about Portia. She goes to her therapist, which I've always said is a pet peeve of mine to watch people do therapy on TV. It's just, I feel like it's not real. But, you know, I did appreciate this therapist and the advice that she gave Portia. So Portia goes and says, you know what? I haven't been to you in a while, but I've got this new boyfriend. We've been together on and off for six months. The last few months have been more serious and I'm pregnant. And I'm really afraid about going back to my old ways when I was in an abusive relationship and I became really submissive and I would never speak up for myself. One of the things that Portia's upset about is that her and Dennis agreed that when they got serious that they were going to sever their ties with their exes. So Portia did that, but she says that Dennis didn't exactly say thank you next and was still texting with some of his exes. While she'd seen the text messages and they were, you know, very benign, nothing racy, she really was like, why didn't you just tell me that you were still texting with them and why couldn't you stop? So Dennis doesn't know about Portia's past abuse. And she thinks that she gets into a certain mode in a relationship where she becomes submissive, puts on a mask, tries to pretend like everything's okay. And she really doesn't want that to happen this time, especially since they're starting a family together. So Dr. Sherry, the psychologist, tells her, you know, just go and ask him the hard questions and listen, and you both need to tell your truth. So she goes home and tells Dennis about seeing the therapist and mentions, you know, hey, we both agreed that we would stop talking to our exes and you didn't really do that. He didn't exactly apologize. He basically said he did nothing wrong because they were just friendly messages. But Portia then goes into her background and was saying, you know, I need you to take responsibility. You know, in my marriage, I did cover up everything. I pretended like everything was okay. I don't want to do that. I don't want to put the mask back on with you. Please own it with me. I thought that was a really mature way of dealing with it to allow him to say that he did something wrong, but that it was own it with me. So, you know, I forgive you. It's nothing terrible, but just acknowledge the truth. And Portia's very honest and says, you know, we don't have a lot of foundation. Our relationship is pretty new and we want to build it together. And Dennis assures her that they are on the same page. So then we get a sneak peek of next week when they go to Tokyo. I'm really interested to see what happens there. Anyways, that's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Take care and love Bravo. So that's it for this week's episode. Please be sure to subscribe and follow on Twitter and Instagram at ITRL underscore podcast. See you next week. Also, you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus, the bulbous walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl and a foul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.